Welcome to the teaching ministry of Pastor Deborah Grohler. We pray that you will be blessed and empowered by today's message. Welcome everyone coming on to FaceTime Live. Uh, we didn't do that this morning. Michelle was off as her daughter graduated from Rowan University today, so we thought we'd give her off for that, you know? So we're really nice people around here. <laughs> Church not as usual, right? Amen. Okay. Well, today we say, I want you to lift your hand and go like this. Yes, we say goodbye. So long, farewell to the book of Genesis. I sure hope. Liam, why are you clapping? <laughs> I sure hope that you have been in, as intrigued and overwhelmed as really I have studying it because it has been, oh, such an amazing, phenomenal book. And I don't know about you, but I've learned so much. But, and we've only been in it for two years. Been, it's been, time goes quick when you're having fun, though, doesn't it? Yeah. Two years we've journeyed together. And because of that length of time, my goodness, I feel like these characters are my very own relatives. I mean, when, I, when we actually see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah, and Rebecca, and Leah, I mean, Leah, I'm definitely going to give Leah a big hug. I mean, really, she really deserves a big hug. I mean, these they just become like part of our family, haven't they? As we've just really not only looked at the historical nature of the text and, and just eschatology, looked at those things and extracted truths, but we have just seen the human side of these characters and the relatability that we can have with them. So... Anyway, I am just feeling that they're so our family, and truth is, someday we are going to see them. You know, we study these books, and we look at these characters, and we sometimes forget that they're not just distant people from antiquity. They are our brothers and sisters in Messiah. And someday, when we cross over, we're actually going to spend eternity with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all those that had gone before us. But before we say goodbye totally, as we've come in tonight, we still have a few little details that we want to finish uh, before we move into the New Covenant book of Romans. So let's jump right in where we left off. I believe we left off at the very end of chapter 49. And at that time, you remember, we went to, to just look at every one of the 12 sons and the blessing that Jacob was placing upon them. And isn't, isn't that, that, let me just take a little, little rabbit trail here for a moment, isn't that the legacy that we ought to have? That, you know, before he takes his last breath, the very last thing that Jacob, i.e. Israel, you know, as, as we know him to be called, what is he doing? He's leaving a blessing. He's not only leaving a blessing, he's being a blessing. You know, I, I mean, do you want to just, is that how you want to have your last breath here on this earth? That, that you will be blessed when you came in and blessed when you go out and leave the blessing in the midst of your coming and going. Amen. That is what we're supposed to do. I mean, to, to be a blessing to our family as he was and to be a blessing to your church, to be a blessing to your neighborhood. You know, sometimes we just get so me-minded. We forget we're not here for me. You're not here for you. We're here for others. We're here to, to advance the kingdom, to occupy the work that, that Messiah Yeshua started, and to, to finish that work out. 
and to obtain that by each of us taking hold of the baton that's been passed before us and finishing our race and finishing it strong. Amen? In order to do that, we got to live long and live strong to get there. Amen? So we got to take care of this temple, and we've got to really fight the fight of faith. And this is exactly what he has done. He has really just, just forged into a change transform transformation has taken place as we watched his life. But there's just one more thing out of him blessing and leaving that blessing with the 12 sons. There's one more thing that Jacob appears to want to take care of before he goes ahead to, to, to be with the Lord. And we find that in verse 29 in chapter 49. And that's where we'll pick up today. So Lord, we just thank you for blessing us with your word. God, we just pray that your hand would be heavy upon us tonight and that your anointing would rest upon this room, that whatever it is that are on these papers, Lord, that you, Spirit of God, would just move into the minds and the hearts of the children of God and you would empower them, you would teach them, and you would take them from this step of glory as we begin and we find ourselves in another step of faith and glory by the time we're done. We give you the praise and the honor, Jesus, for all that will be accomplished. We lift you up so that you can draw us close to you right now. And the church said, amen. Then he discharged them and said to them, so the blessing has been pronounced on all of the sons. And then he goes on to say, I am to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. We're going to go through verse 33. In the cave that is in the field of Machpelah. Can you say Machpelah? We've heard that word so often, haven't we? Which is before Mamre in the land of Canaan. Canaan is what? Current day Israel, right. Which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite as a possession for a burial place. So he bought this by faith long ago, many chapters ago. Because his faith was that we're supposed to be in this land. And if you notice, there's not one Palestinian name here. Did, did you notice that? Yeah. So he bought that. And here he goes on to say, there, what happened? They buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I. Notice the pronoun changes. It's not what they did, it's now what Jacob did or what Israel did. And what is it he did? He buried Leah. Now, ain't that interesting? We'll get to that. Let, let's, let's take this apart a little bit. So Jacob wants to be buried in the place promised to him. He wants to be buried in the place promised to his father and his grandfather, this evidences to us how strong his faith had become in the latter part of his life. You know, we have just walked and followed in the dust of Jacob all along for many chapters in many scenarios, many situations. Some were not his best days, of course. But as we see him approaching the end, we see that more and more there's less Jacob and there's more Israel. We know we came to find out that Jacob means trickster, right? And Israel means governed by God. So isn't that quite interesting that as he gets to the end of his life, he's more governed by God, if you will, than the trickster carnality, uh, fleshly way that he used to be in. And boy, I would like that to be my testimony, wouldn't you? Really, 
wouldn't you just like that to be your testimony? Because it doesn't matter necessarily. I mean, certainly there's consequences to pay, but it doesn't matter as much where we started and how we tripped up. What matters is the finish line and that we achieve that finish line, obtaining the promises of God and, uh, and just incurring and obtaining the very, the very destiny that he had for our path. Not someone else's path, you know, that's why Paul said, don't look to the right and don't look to the left. Press on to your calling. And we see here that in the life of Israel, this is happening more and more and more and more. And so his faith has increased, and he wants to be buried in the place promised. See, he knows the promise that's been handed down to all through the, the patriarchal line, that Israel is the Jews, it's their land, and he wants to be buried in this Mechpelah where all the other patriarchs, as we just learned, are buried. And did you notice? Did you notice what I noticed? That again, that he buried Leah. He says, Leah was buried by me. You mean, you mean Leah, the one that hurt his eyes when he looked at her? Do you mean Leah, the one that he got stuck with and complained about? This is not a coincidence whatsoever, and it's not incidental whatsoever. He's saying, I buried her there, and I want to be buried where she's buried. I mean, this just gets so interesting to me because, again, she was not exactly high on his list of favorite wives. Remember, he had four. Touch your neighbor and say, that's three too many. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yes. It's, trust me. I know that. It's three too many. Yes. And now, through this season of time... He now, something has happened in Jacob slash Israel. Something has taken place that now not only does he himself bury her, but he himself wants to be buried next to her. See, Rachel, that most beautiful one that we read so much about, and, and, and she just was the one he had, you know, I only have eyes for you. I just hear that song murmuring in my heart and mind, right? And we can hear that. But guess what? Something happened with time. Something happened that now he wants to be buried with her. And for the first time, we even hear about her death. We haven't even heard that she's died, really, until we get to this place. And now we also know that he and she will shave, share Mechpala, that cave, together in their death. I had to just take a wow moment on this as I looked at Leah because Leah's struggle all of her life to obtain his, his affection and love, she spent all her life obtaining that, and she obtained it in her death. Isn't that so interesting to think about? What happened here? What, what happened? I mean, because finally the chance to be with Jacob without competition... Can you imagine that household? That must have been quite interesting. Two women running a house together is already quite an interesting feat to hold, let alone two looking for the affection of the same one. Fred's laughing. Apparently he understands that, yes. It must have been quite a household, right? It really must have been. And so but something has happened to change him because we're not reading here that Israel wants to go to Bethlehem and be buried next to Rachel. Hey, he had that option to do that, didn't he? You know, I have to say, although scripture doesn't tell us, you know, this is, you know, we've been saying as we've been going through some of these scenarios that when we get to the other side and we're in like eternal Bible study together, this will be one of those rewind moments. 
Take us back to Genesis 49. What in the what was going on, Jacob? Why did you? It's going to be so interesting to kind of get some of the more in-depth understanding that we don't always see here. And Scripture doesn't tell us that she died until now, and it doesn't tell us what happened to him that he seems to turn his affection away from wanting to be buried with the love of his life and this beautiful Rachel. Now he wants to be next to Leah. And I just want to throw out there. I just want to pitch the ball over in your direction. Did he grow to love her? Do you know that you can grow to love somebody? You can grow. Because you know what? Love is a decision. The love of God, the true agape of God, is not a feeling. See, we get very tripped up with that. And, of course, we know in the Greek there's three, three words for love you know, uh, fios, brotherly love, and there's all kinds of things we could spend some time in. But the bottom line is, true love of God, it's a decision. We have to decide to love someone, even though maybe our eyes hurt looking at them once in a while. Anybody? Not in this room, I'm sure. Yes, absolutely. Did he grow to love her? I would say he must have. I mean, I'm just wondering that after the years of his transformation and, and the lessons that he learned along the pathway of hard knocks life, did, did he learn to, was she an assignment that God allowed in his life that was the perfect assignment in the perfect timing of his life? And he, as he grew older, do, do we not get more wisdom the older we go? Lord, help us, I hope we do. Really? Some of the things we do when we were younger, right? We look back and say, oh, Holy Ghost, help me. There really is a God in heaven watching over me with a, with a whole legion of angels, right? So, so I, I believe that that happened. I believe he grew in his love for her. And, you know, I, I just want to throw this out. I mean, I look in this room, and, and a lot of us have been married a long time. And, you know, I, I think sometimes young people, we live in such a world where, you know, if it don't feel right, you just get rid of it. There's, there's, no, there's no longevity. There's no standing on the covenant. There's no standing firm. No, we just, if it don't feel good, then we either run away from it or we just do away with it. And, and I think there's a lesson to learn here, that Jacob, while he, he, he like screamed in the tenth of day that Leah, he saw Leah's face, but years later, he chooses of his own free will to be a part of her life. He, he must have grown to love her. So we can't, we can't give up, can we, on people? Sometimes time has a way of just rearranging feelings and building priorities in our life. And isn't that what maturity in God is all about? Amen? So again, Jacob passes over, and he's declaring some things that he wants to take place. What a time we have had literally following him. The scripture almost seems to convince us that as we look at this particular part, that, 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 that he was buried with her, that he, he played with in, in a big part in her, her life as, as loving her. Do we read, do we read, um, we're only at 31. The field and the cave that is there were purchased from the sons of Heth. So we're going into some great depths about where this place is, obviously. And here it is. This is the end of chapter 49. And when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, notice the word commanding. He wasn't gently asking, you know, take me back to, the, to, to Machpelah. 
He's commanding it. Again, a signal to us of the faith that he had, that he was going to be find his resting place in the land God promised and his promises. It says that when he had finished commanding his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed and breathed his last and was gathered to his people. You know, the new covenant side of that would be absent from the body, is present with the Lord. And certainly there's indications here as we look at that, that as he did that, he was gathered to his people. Who were his people? The ones we just read that were in the cave of Machpelah. You know, their bones are there, but they're not there. Amen? And so this is, this is amazing as I look at this because, you know, it, it, it's amazing when you think about this, that the Moses is almost trying to convince us that as he leans back in the bed, there's just this visionary here that the confidence that he had in God's grace and promises, there was no more striving. There was no more trickery. He just had total shalom total peace in his life and he leaned back and gave up himself to the Lord. I don't know about you I'd like to sign up for that passing if there's a list on pull your feet up in the bed and take a breath, I, I, I want to be right on that list on the first part of it, amen so now we're going to turn over, over to chapter 50 and as we turn over to the first three verses know that um, Israel is safely planted in Israel okay and Joseph has been reconciled with his brothers, just giving a little snapshot of what we've already seen. And Jacob has died. Okay? So now we start the very last chapter of Genesis, which we will complete tonight. Then Joseph fell on his face and wept over him. And he kissed him. And Joseph commanded his servants, the physicians, to embalm his father. So the physicians did embalm Israel. Verse 3, notice Israel over and over being spoken of. Forty days were required of him, for such are the days required for those who were embalmed. And the Egyptians mourned for him 70 days. Well, that's a whole big mouthful that I think we should take a little bit of a survey through. Um, to, in order to fill this chapter up, we've got to move a little quickly. But let me just say a few things. Joseph mourns his father's passing with sadness and grief. Certainly we read this. And boy, do I know this one in this moment in my life right now. Honestly, sometimes just the wave just comes over you that is just like really, really, really something. And yet Paul told us that we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Okay? What does that mean? That means people of God, we don't grieve like those who are not people of God. See, people who are not people of God... What, what could possibly come out of this that would be of any good? What could come out of this that could give any kind of uh, an assurance, a reassurance, a comfort? Nothing. Because if they don't believe in an afterlife in heaven with God Almighty, the great lover of our souls, there's just nothing but sadness and grief and sorrow. I don't know how people without Christ even cope with these things. How would anything ever give you peace in your heart to go on? So he's saying we don't mourn like those who have no hope. Our grief is, is tempered, if you will, with the promises of God. See, we have that feeling. Those, those feelings come upon us because sorrow and grief is a feeling. And in fact, Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb. So as he walked the earth as a man, you know, he was God, but he wasn't on earth as God. He was on earth as man. 
And so he had those feelings. He wept at Lazarus' tomb. He looked over Jerusalem, and he wept over Jerusalem because they would not receive him. So he, Jesus understands what these emotional feelings and whatnot are like. But we, they're tempered because we have a promise. And that's what Paul means when he says we don't mourn like those who have no hope. In other words, we don't mourn like those who have no promises. Okay, we have the promises of God. And can I assure you, as I am assuring my little sweet self as I tell you this, that if, if we are missing our loved ones much more than they're missing us. Oh, we need to know that. Because can, can, can we just even imagine stepping over off of this planet into eternity? It's just something we, we can't even, we're, we're, our, our eyes can't even take in what that will be like. But, but we are missing them more than they're missing us. And, and I have to tell you, you know, just, just some things. I couldn't even say this this morning because I could just tell I was not going to be able to say it. But, you know, my father was in a room in our first floor. And so it's even more tender because like, it's like you can't go out the front door without passing this room. You can't go up the stairs without passing this room. It's just there, you know? And I have to tell you, there is like this peace in that room. The minute you walk in there, it's just like this peace is in there. And that, that I just go in there sometimes to receive that because it's very powerful. But after the Relentless Conference and the amazing movement of God and just all that he did there, you know, when we got done, like, I just went right in that room and sat in the chair and told my father all about it. I hate to tell myself he wasn't really listening, but, but, but it just, it just, we got to learn how to just cope, right? Like, and so that helped me because that's what he would have said the minute I walked in the room. Tell me all about that, right? And so he didn't even ask this time. I just told him anyway, right? So these things are hard. These things are hard, and we see Joseph weeping, you know, finally gets together with his father after all these years of the lies and the betrayal, and then there's this moment. And I think in Scripture, we need to take hold of some of those emotional moments and not just look at the textual history, but really understand where things are at. Now, notice here that it says that they took 70 days of mourning. Very interesting, because this is the time allotted in Egypt, Okay. And so 70 days, we see that they warmed. Now, what is really interesting to know here is in the cultural sense that in Egypt, the time of mourning for a past pharaoh was 71 days. 70 is a very significant number in the scripture for people of God. It often shows uh, government or authority. We see there were 70 elders over Israel. There's lots of times we see about 70. And so these 70s, they, these numbers mean something. We know as we've extracted words and things, we've come to find out that, that, that Moses, as he writes this book, he may be trying to tell us some other things that are hidden under the text for us to know. And 70 was one day short of how Egypt would allow the, the mourning of a pharaoh. That tells me that while Jacob wasn't as important in Egypt as a pharaoh, boy, he was almost. It shows some kind of honorability, wouldn't you agree? It shows some kind of respect as they allow for that 70 days. It would be like he got a 20-gun salute instead of a 21-gun salute. Absolutely amazing to think about it. The other thing I want to share with you is the embalming process. 
This was very intriguing to me, having a little nursing background, but I did a little research on it and came to find out, now, ladies, you can cover your ears, the men probably won't mind, and I'm a nurse, so I don't mind it at all, but what they would do in the embalming process is they would put a suction tube up the nose and literally suck the brain out of the deceased, and they would also make an um, incision on the side and literally remove the whole cavity of the organs and what. And then they would take um, incense, cassia, and myrrh, and they would like put that in as a replacement, and this would preserve bodies for a very, 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 very long time. In fact, in my research, I did a little bit. It was two things that were very interesting that surfaced. Number one is that physicians and the medical profession still doesn't know quite how that worked. But isn't it interesting that when we get to the days of the tabernacle and the temple and some of the materials and ministry elements that were used in those places, guess what? Those particular items were used. Cassia is in the anointing oils that were burned in the, the menorahs. And so, you know, what you need to know out of this is just a fact thing. It's not going to change your life, but I think it's interesting. Is that, you know, we talked before about what was the purpose of being in Egypt all that time? Well, I believe Israel learned some wisdom out of the Egyptian culture. We don't know why God gave them, it seems, a, a brilliance in their intellect. I mean, these pyramids are just phenomenal creations that who can explain this and and their time there god certainly grew a nation that was his ultimate purpose but also when they came out of there they came out of there with some wisdom do you know you can get wisdom from the world you can go to a doctor who doesn't know jesus and he can give you some wisdom we can't eliminate oh i only go to christians well i mean that, that sounds good you know in your walk, but pray about that because sometimes God will take you to an Egyptian and you, will, you can obtain some wisdom. We, we can't just put God in a box and say, I'm never going to any, no, there'll never be a painter of my house other than a Christian. If you want to know a secret, sad to say, but the world we live in today, people just do not do integrous jobs. And sad to say, I have had the world do more integrous things sometimes than Christianity does. And we need to change that. We need to change that because what we do, the word of God says, he says, you know, he says, work your works in this world because people will see it and they'll respect your father in heaven. So people know, you know, they know what's going on here. We need to be integrous about our life because we're reflecting the life of God in our lives. So I believe that, that they learned, there are 400 years there, look at this whole embalming. These, the recipe for embalming people were the things that they continued to use and we use. Jesus was wrapped in some of the things that were used in Egyptian embalming. Isn't that so interesting? Yeah, it really, really is really something. So let's go to verses 4 and 5. Now, when the days of his mourning were past, Joseph spoke to the household of Pharaoh, saying, If now I have found favor in your eyes, please speak to the hearing of Pharaoh, saying, My father made me swear, saying, Behold, I am dying in my grave, which I dug for myself in the land of Canaan, where you shall bury me. Now, therefore, please let me go up and bury my father, 
and look at this, I will come back. We're gonna, we're gonna come back to that later, but certainly mark that in your Bible because I think that's an integrous statement. The question is, did he do it? Let's see. You can, it can all sound full of character what we say, but the question is, do we do what we say? See, because character isn't what you say. Character is what you do. So let's, let's see how that all works out. Joseph requests the honor of his dad's request to bury Jacob in Canaan at Machpelah in Hebron. Once again, Israel's land grant. I, I, every chance I get, I, I just want to download this into you, especially as we go into Romans. But once again, Israel's land grant is vividly seen. Again, there is not one member of Allah okay, or Muhammad in this bunch. This is a land grant to the Hebrew children, lock, stock, and barrel. I mean, it is just so amazing to me that the UN and some of these people who think they're just peacemakers, you know, who know nothing about the word of God, who want to be fair to everybody, God granted this land to the Jew. He granted it in the beginning, and he has not changed his mind. Because last I checked, when we have the kingdom in the millennium reigning, it is going to be in Israel, the Jews will be running it, and all the nations will come and honor the Jews of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen? And that's how it will go. Let's read verses 6 to 10. See what happens. And Pharaoh said, go up and bury your father as you have sworn to him. So Jacob went up to bury his father, and with him, try to conceive this, with him went up all of the servants of Pharaoh, the elders of his house, and all, would you say all, all of the elders of the land of Egypt, we're going to 10, as well as all of the house of Joseph and his brothers and his father's house, only their little ones and their flocks and their herds did they leave behind in Goshen. And there went up with him, look at this, chariots and horsemen. And it was a very great gathering. Would you touch your neighbor and say, you can say that again. Absolutely, you can say that again. The grandeur of Jacob's funeral procession must have been a wonder to behold. I mean, I don't think we can literally grasp what this must have looked like. I mean, miles of a sea of people and chariots and horses, and, and this is just amazing. And can I say it's one of the very few times in scriptures where we see that, that, that the nation's honoring the Jew. One of the very few times that we see that as we read the scriptures whatsoever. But this, this grandeur of this procession, I mean, I have been in some pretty long funeral processions. We ain't seen nothing like we've seen this. I mean, I actually went on YouTube, and I would challenge you to do this tonight, because if you just type in Jacob's uh, funeral procession, unfortunately, they were like 15 minutes long, because I really wanted to play one for you. But you ought to just see how... Charlton Heston <laughs> puts this together. I mean, it's amazing. It's like as far as the eye can see. And it's not just the Hebrew children. Okay? This tells us the honor that was upon Jacob and probably greater yet the honor upon Joseph. 
as he had served in the Egyptian place in a very, very mighty way. So this, this grandeur that takes place. And can you feel the moment? Can you just feel the moment? Not only the visual moment of this mass of people and sea of people, but I, I had to take the moment a little bit more personal. Because I've been at funerals, and I've heard of funerals, and, and, and I know of funerals where, you know, when you're, you're on your way there, and, and then there's like the memory of this passing person. The things you wish you would have said. The things you wish you wouldn't have said. These things seem to surface in this type of an environment, don't they? For every one of us. You know, we don't live perfect lives. And these are the things that can really bind people down in times like this. But I, I wonder if, if you could go with me and see in this particular scenario, we've got something very different because we know what took place over the years and how there was the lying to Jacob and how there was the betrayal of Joseph. And now they find themselves in this family pack, mourning and probably remorseful too of some things that took place in their lives. And, and, and isn't it sad? I, I mean, isn't it really sad that sometimes it takes a funeral to bring families together? Do we not know that? I mean, there can be a riff between two cousins and an aunt and a, and, a, and a second cousin. And honestly, it can go on for so many years, so long, that when they get to the funeral of Uncle Harry, they're trying to remember, now, why was I mad at Kathy? I don't even remember what the problem was. Sometimes these funerals just bring families together. It's, it's sad that that has to happen like that, but sometimes it does. Amen. We've got to keep our accounts short with people, don't we? Don't let these times build up because, hey, we're, we're all going to find ourselves in a house of mourning sometime for somebody in our family, aren't we? Let's move over to verses 11 to 14. Verse 10. Then they came to the threshing floor of Atad, which is beyond the Jordan. Remember, the original landmass of Israel included Jordan, okay? Transjordan. And they mourned there for a great and very solemn lamentation. So this, can you just imagine? I mean, not only the sea and mass of people, but this wording that Moses is telling us about. He's telling us that there was a great and very solemn lamentation. I mean, that is some pretty interesting adjectives to give us some, some insight. He observed seven more days of mourning for his father. Verse 11. And when the inhabitants of the land of the Canaanites, see, they're passing into kind of enemy territory, okay, which at one point they're going to have to come against these guys, the Canaanites, saw the mourning at the threshing floor of Atad, they said, this is a deep mourning of the Egyptians. Therefore, it is called Abel Mizram, which is beyond the Jordan, which just literally means Egypt's mourning. Absolutely amazing. The mourning and the lamentation was so loud that the surrounding nations even heard it and saw it. You know, I, I, just, I just wonder, you know, again, we don't have time to just spend a lot of time on some of these points, but I'd like to give you a few to, to kind of ponder. You know, I wonder, is your life, is your life so full of God and so effective to where you're planted, that even nations 
Even nations would be aware of your absence. And speaking of that, if your funeral was this week, what might it look like? What might it look like? Because I've been at services. In fact, Agassi, I am really, you know, I love Agassi Funeral Home. They just, they're just great people. And I actually do funerals for them for people who don't have pastors. So sometimes they call, and so I don't really know people. And you get to see things sometimes when you don't know people that is very different than when you do know them. And, and I'll never forget the one time going to this elderly man's service, and there was only a few people there. And sometimes when you're older, just because a lot of people you know have already passed, it could be just that simple logistic. But in this case, it was so much more. There was only a few people, and they just sat there like this. It was like they didn't want to be there. They didn't even care that this man had passed. And when the time came for me to gently say, hey, you know, would you, would you like to share something about your father? No, we have nothing to say. How sad. Hey, none of us want a service like that. We want a service that we want lots of people to come and say how you impacted their life, that their life has been changed because they knew Fred. Their life was totally turned around because Ray you know, came into it and cared about them. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Do we do it to that degree every day? Absolutely not. But that should be our goal. Amen? That should definitely be our goal. And here, this, this, this Joseph Israel bunch that, that is so small in the making, this family, they just, the morning that took place, nations around them were just drawn into, what, who's that coming? What is this, what is this about? I would have to say that is quite a legacy to leave when you have that kind of thing coming along. Amen? So, verse 12. So his sons did for him just as he had commanded them. For his sons carried him to the land of Canaan, and they buried him in the cave in the field of Machpelah before memory, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephraim, the Hittite, his property for the burial place. We went through all that before. Verse 14. And after he had buried his father... Would you say these two words with me? Joseph returned to Egypt. Remember, I drew your attention to when he sent his servant to ask permission to go do it. What did he say? And I'll be back. By the way, speaking of I'll be back, you know, we're looking constantly at the picture that Joseph is of Jesus. You know, uh, so much of the word of God is given to the life of Joseph because we've come to the conclusion because he's a marker for who Jesus was. In fact, uh, I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, how many of us have really been tracking that all along because over and over and over we've seen it. And isn't it interesting? Joseph said, I'll be back. Did not Jesus say, I will be back? I will return? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come back and receive you unto myself, that where I am, you may also be. The message version of that is, I'll be back, right? So we see that in the scripture here. So Joseph, again, another parallel to Joseph and Jesus, was he was obedient to the will of his father. Joseph, Jacob was, Joseph was obedient to the will of his father, and so was Jesus obedient to the will of his father. 15 through 18. Oh, we got to hurry. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, and this is beautiful. Somebody say, uh-oh. Yes. Uh-oh. Perhaps Joseph will hate us. I, I just thought I'd add that in there. 
uh-oh, perhaps Joseph will hate us and may actually repay us for the evil which we did to him. So they sent messengers to Joseph saying, before your father died, he told us, thus you shall say to Joseph, I beg you, please forgive the trespass of your brothers and their sin, for they did evil to you. Now please forgive the trespasses of your servants of the God of your father. And look at this, verse 17. And Joseph wept when they spoke to him. He actually wept. Then his brothers also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we are your servants. What in the world is going on here? Well, basically this. Uh-oh, we're in trouble now because dad's been keeping this kind of you know, seamless relationship going between our betrayal and Joseph. But guess what? The seam has been now ripped and gone. What's going to happen to us? Amazing, amazing. They're wondering if, 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 if a vengeance is going to be cast back upon them. And they go on to say, you know, Father told us to forgive us. And I'm sure as they said that they were shaking and sweating and shaking and sweating because apparently fear was all over them and had been all over them from the very, very beginning. And we have seen Joseph over and over, an emotional guy. Certainly not wimpy, certainly not anything negative, but he certainly has no problem expressing his emotions. And we've seen that over and over. And here again, we see that kind of emotional response. He wept. He's weeping. Why? Because they still don't get it. They still do not get it. You know, I have known some situations, I don't know about you, if you've known them or if you've even been in them, where there's a fracture of trust. And you know, when there's a fracture in trust in a relationship, it is hard to mend that fracture. I mean, it takes some diligence, work, some, some creative uh, relational uh, tactics to, and strategic ways to kind of build that trust. Trust is the foundation of a building the building of relationships. And so I've seen where there's situations where the trust has been fractured. And even though you forgive, and even though there's efforts made to be kind and loving and, and hug and forgive, and you make all those, ex, all those efforts, people who have wronged you often won't receive it. Have you ever heard of this? Have you ever been involved with this? They just won't receive it. You know what I, I believe? And I believe it's the picture here. I believe it's because of their own guilt. I think because they have not been truthful and they feel guilty about what they did, they don't think you could be truthful. And so they spend their time being suspicious and unfortunately fault-finding. Mm. I have to tell you that I believe that's what we're seeing here. I believe that's what we're seeing here. And I think we really need to be really in tune to the Lord and yes, if he says, go back again, go back again, you know, try to build that, make amends, go back again, go back again. But there will come a time when he will say, it is finished. And you have to let it be finished. You know, we talked about the conference this weekend, and the Lord showed me this very clearly, that if we don't let it be finished when he says it's finished, you know what happens? We we open a door, a pathway for Satan to enter through that person. See, it's just not in our Christian nature to say that we're going to turn away from somebody. God knows the hearts of people. And do you know that Jesus himself did not entrust himself to man? People are fickle. 
And once there's trust broken, it is very difficult to take right back where you were and build again. Sometimes it's difficult to even get back where you were. And again, I believe that's because, because maybe the person that has wronged you, they just can't let go of it themselves. And so they see you through the lens of their own selves and what they're doing. And they become very suspicious because they don't even trust them. Now, I don't know who that's for, but that's for somebody. But Joseph, a type of Jesus, they didn't get who he was either. Just like the brothers didn't get Joseph, people didn't get Jesus. They just could not figure out this guy. Isn't he the son of the Joseph from Nazareth? And how could he do such a... They just didn't get why he came and what he was doing. It's another parallel we see here. Let's go to verses 19 to 21, and we're almost landing this kosher plane. Joseph said to them, do not be afraid. See, he assessed that all this was fear-based. For I, for am I in the place of God? Oh, I wish we had time to some, spend some time here. Honestly, I, I wish we weren't starting Romans for two weeks because there is just some choice, beautiful nuggets here that I would just really love for us to kind of dig a little bit into the gold here. Am I in the place of God? You know, we need to ask ourselves that. I, I think that's an occasion right now for, it, for us to ask ourselves that. Because while things can happen in our lives and, and relationships can be at best challenging sometimes, it is not our job to judge people. It is not our job whatsoever to judge people. And it's such an important lesson for us to remember, isn't it? What verse are we on? Yeah. So let's continue. But as for you, and here is the exequential verse of the entire chapter, if not the whole book of Genesis. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day. In other words, exactly how we're standing here to save my people alive. And by the way, guys, that's you. But, but see, what I want you to know is, depending on where we are at any moment in our own personal emotional state and our soul realm, you could read that very differently. You could read that, uh, yo, as you know, though you meant it for harm, huh, God meant it for good. I mean, this could be done very pridefully and very arrogantly. I don't believe that was the heart of Joseph. I believe as he was weeping and he was kind to them, he was trying to express out of a great heart of understanding that, you know, forgive yourself, guys. You know, because it's okay. It's really okay. You know, in the beginning, what was meant, it's, it's see, it, but God had another plan. And that's what we talked about over the weekend is these hurdles and obstacles. We got to look past them and know that God is at work in something so much greater than we see at the moment that we live in. Constantly, he is at work in those things. Now, therefore... Do not be afraid, he says. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and he spoke kindly to them. So this was not an arrogant way to at all do that, okay? Not at all. And this is a reminder, again, that we are not to judge. Because why? Because we're not God. God is judge, not us. You know, I remember one time the Lord telling me, Debbie, your job is to love. I'm the judge. See, I think we get that mixed up sometimes. 
I think because God is love, we think we're to judge and he's to love. But see, it's very much the opposite. He is the one who does that. So we need to stop judging the outside of people because God looks at the heart. I don't know if you remember the story of David when he was climbing and scraping and snorting at the walls of the Philistines. And you could look at that from the outside and said, what is he doing? He's, he, he's moving in with the Philistines and he's, he, he wants to get in their camp. And it almost looked like he was trying to befriend them. But do you know that in that season of time, David wrote one of the, some of the most amazing, glory-given God psalms that have ever been written. But at looking at him, it didn't look very godly. We just have to be very careful what we see because our God does not judge on sight. Our God is a God of, of hearts, isn't he? And those that rise against us, our job is to love them, and judgment is God's business. And, and so I just ask that tonight, are, are you holding anything against anybody in this room? Is there anything we're holding an offense at all with anyone? Because offense is a trap. It's a trap. In fact, offense comes from the word skedalion which is literally where the bait is held on a trap. What does that mean? It means a fence is, is a lure that gets you into a trap, and once you're in, Satan has you. That's why the Word of God said that, that where there's strife, there's confusion and every evil work. See, we think strife's no big deal. Strife is, is, the, is, the, is the entrance to confusion and every evil work. So it's dangerous, isn't it? Touch your neighbor and say, it's dangerous. it's dangerous. Absolutely. So we need to look at every situation beyond the seen and tap into the unseen, knowing that God has a good and expected plan for us on the other side. Amen? And we need to say, every time we see an obstacle, we need to say to it, but God. But God, every hurdle that you were going to come against, you know, I, I'm looking at some of you, and I know some situations in this room and some of your kids' situations in this room. You know, we need to look at those things and say, but God. Because in every single one of those hurdles and every one of those obstacles, there is another side to it. There is the other side. There is after a little while side to it. And so sometimes it's just good to just encourage yourself and look at it and just walk by it and say, but God. That's the word of the hour tonight. I think you're all going to walk out of here and say, but God. Amen? That is our word. And jot this down. Jot this down, because I think this is really important for those of you who take notes. Every day, it seems, God finds a new way to say to us, do you trust me? Every day, he finds a new way to communicate and say to us, do you trust me? And if the answer is yes, you can look and say, you know what, Cher? But God. Do you mean but gods there are in the Bible? I mean, there is a ton of them. It's the worst scenario, but God. But God said or but God did. It's, it's something we can actually put on the road. Let's look at verse 20. Again. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. 
that what? That, 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 that in order to bring about that we're seeing this very day and to save people many alive. The greater Joseph, Jesus, would say it this way, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And how many people did he save alive out of that? Amen. And then the last verse, verses 22 to 26. We're, we're getting ready to come down. 22 to 126. It's a coming. Oh, okay. That's true. It wasn't in here this morning. I guess it just didn't pop in there yet, did it, huh? See, sometimes you just have so much faith, you just think these scriptures are just going to appear. Okay, so 22 says, So Joseph dwelt in Egypt, he and his father's household, and Joseph lived 110 years. Joseph sold Ephraim's children to the third generation. Ephraim was his son, if you remember. The children of Micar, the son of Manasseh, were also brought up on Joseph's knees. Oh, please, please underline that, because we're going to come back to that in a very few minutes. And Joseph said to his brethren, I'm dying. But God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land to the land which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Again, he's, he's, he's continuing with that faith statement, right? And he took this oath from the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you, carry you. So please, as he visits you, carry up my bones from here. So Joseph died being 110 years old and they embalmed him. And he was put in a coffin in Egypt. Now, let me just say, as we close this, this end of the 50th chapter finds Joseph no longer the prime minister of Egypt. The, the, the scenario has changed. The atmosphere has changed. A new pharaoh is beginning to rise up. And he is not prime minister whatsoever anymore. However, we see Moses take us over to another view. I think of something very important for us in this room to take hold of. Grandparenting. Grandparenting. I mean, the, the practicality of some of these scriptures is so amazing. And he says that he put them on his knees. You know, that just touched me. I, that's another place I wish we had some time to talk about. Do you know the ministry opportunity of grandparenting? The ministry opportunity of grandparenting is so huge, and every single one of us are called to it that have grandchildren. It, there's something about that grandchild. They're, they're not sinners. We know that. Well, you need to wake up in this room. <laughs> Marilyn got it. Thank you, Mayor. Yeah. I mean, they're just so perfect, right? Not like the, the parents. My goodness, right? <laughs> yes, they're just so... But honestly, they're just... It's such an opportunity to be able to tell the stories of God and share Jesus with them. In fact, I have to tell you, our little guy, Jackson, is coming over Sunday. It's the first time he's ever had a sleepover, and he's staying at our house. I'm a little nervous for the parents, and I'll probably get a call every hour. But anyway... Let me tell you something. This is going to be some kind of night. I mean, it's, I, have, I have Fox News. Like, they're coming over to tape this thing because this is going to be awesome because this is my grandson. We're having ourselves a time on Sunday night, right? We're going to read. We're going to take out these books. We're going to get those things from the basement that were his father's. And we're, I mean, this is going to be a really special night. And you know what? When it's time to go to bed, every single time I put him in bed and I'm in his house, he knows we're going to talk about Jesus. And he'll say, Mom, Mom, tell me about Jesus' story again. The, the, the ministry of being a grandparent is so 
wonderful and precious because they can just tap into God in a very different way with you than they even do their own parents. I know with my grandmother it was very different like that. And here we see, you know, Moses switch the lens a little bit out of this governor position into a practical grandparent of everyday life. And what does he say? He put them on his knees. You know, dads and granddads, let's not be so busy. We don't have time to put our grandchild on our knees. And you know what? You may be sitting here and saying, well, you know what, Pastor Deb, that's nice for you, but my relationship with my kids isn't so great, and I don't see them, or, or maybe the distance is far. And you know what? You know what I think also we can see here is we can put them on our knees, or we can get on our knees for them. When was the last time you were on your knees for your grandchild? Your knees. Not in your car on the way somewhere. On your knees. I think, I think this, is, this is an anointed moment. I think tonight, before you retire for the night, let's all agree we're going to get on our knees for our grandchildren. Let's do that. Let's lift up our grandchildren's names to our loving Heavenly Father and really, really pray for them. Well, Joseph's bones were taken out of Egypt. I just want you to know that. He asked for that to happen, and it did happen. We see that in Exodus chapter 13, verse 19, and it says this. And Moses, whoa, Moses. Moses, you mean the writer of all this? That Moses? Moses took the bones of Joseph? I mean, it's one thing to write the text because you heard about it or, you know, the Holy Spirit's dick. This guy actually did this. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, for he had placed the children of Israel under solemn oath, saying, God will surely visit you, and you will carry up my bones from here with you. You know what I love about this? And again, it's, it's that grandparent aspect. Apparently, this request went on through the generations. It didn't just stop because he said it to, you know, his family. It went on, and that's the power of words. That's the power of faith. That's the power of making a decision and, and, and putting your wishes. Do, does anyone know your wishes for your funeral? Do you have a will? Have you, have you sat down with your... One thing I have to tell you, and Ray will tell you this, my dad had an impeccable estate. I mean, it's hard enough to go through this. There was not one thing left unturned. He left notes for everybody. He updated things. There was revision notes in them. I mean, he put some time that his wishes would be accomplished and his desires, and they were all godly. Everybody was touched by my father's estate with a note saying that a good man leaves, uh, you know, an inheritance to children's children. Whew. I was, I'm just so inspired by the way he did. But I ask you, have you, as your wish is known, if tonight something would happen, what, what, what would happen to your legacy? Would it go forth? Would it go on? And so we see here that this, these bones were taken out of here. And Moses did it. Moses, the writer of this book, did it. And while we are moving next, obviously, to the book of Romans, I have to close our time today in Genesis by actually looking at just a few verses in Exodus because it really concludes Genesis. And if we look in verses 5 to 7, it says this. 
it says all those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. So this is when they entered. Okay, remember when they came in for the famine. And Joseph died, all his brothers and all the generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. The land was filled with them. Okay, so what I want to say is they went down to Egypt as a family. Church, they came out as a nation. God incubated an entire nation in a furnace of affliction. Absolutely amazing. Can I say to you, don't despise small beginnings? Small beginnings look like, oh, when, God, when, who, God, who. God can do a lot with a little. He can do a lot with a little, okay? God's plans are always bigger than our eyes, always bigger than our eyes to see. And also the parallels. I know that we've been working through you know, looking at the parallels between Joseph, a type of Jesus. And so I just made this up for you, if you could just hand that out. Um, that handout gives many, certainly it's not an exhaustive list, but this is, this is the list of the parallels between Joseph and Jesus. I think this is an important thing for us to have, because it not only it tells us Joseph, his Hebrew name was Yosef, and Jesus for Yeshua, and just the comparisons that went down. But not only... Joseph set the way for us to see Jesus, okay? It wasn't just Joseph. Are, are, are you with me? Because I need to show you one more thing that's really powerful. It wasn't just, you know, what, you know what, Ray, do me a favor. Let's not hand them out just until I'm done because I can tell this is going to be distracting. But that was my fault, sorry. Um, it wasn't just Joseph who gave us the picture of Jesus. Do you know the nation of Israel? They're calling Ultimately, God's desire was they would preach the gospel, not the church. Really, Israel was to preach the gospel because what did he say to Abraham? He said, in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed, okay? And I want to just tell you, not only did Joseph reflect and give us a lens of who Jesus was, but so did the nation of Israel. And the reason I say this is this. Look at this picture. Look at this picture. Now, if you're looking at this picture, you may say, what in the world is she talking about? Well, let me share with you what I'm talking about. When they got in, left Egypt. Oh, by the way, before I go there, when we see Moses carrying his bones out, I meant to tell you this. You know what the placement of that was, don't you? It was at the Exodus. It was when, after the Passover, chapter 13 is the chapter after the Passover chapter, when they were leaving, they were leaving Egypt. They took Joseph's bones with him when they left into the promised land, into the promised land. Here, once they get in to, you know, cross over the Red Sea, when they spent some time in the wilderness, you remember that story. Well, why they were in the wilderness, they had plundered Egypt. I just love God, don't you? I mean, not only do you defeat your enemies, but you get the wealth of the enemies on your way out of town. That's what I'm talking about. Because the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just. So they, that, that's the scenario. But when they got into the wilderness, God had them set up camp. And the camp was set up in something called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was a movable worship center 
We've studied it in great depth. You can order the CDs on it. It's an amazing picture of Jesus in the wilderness. But what I want to say to you is God told them exactly how to set the camp up. And all of the tribes of Israel were placed in strategic order. As you can see, the names that go around. And of the three, per each side, one was like the head of the, of the tribe, so to speak. And so you can see the numbers. When you put Reuben, Simeon, and Gad together, you got 151,450. So all of them added up their numbers. That's what the book of Numbers is all about, right? It's counting what was there. Can I just share with you that when Balaam was on the mountain and looked down at the worship center of the tabernacle, he said a most interesting statement. He said, oh, beautiful are your tents, O sons of Jacob. Because this is what he saw. This is the aerial view of what it looked like as the camps were camped out in the wilderness. When you look down, Israel was proclaiming the cross of Jesus Christ in just the numerical settlement that they would be in in the wilderness. So it wasn't just Joseph that showed the life of Christ. It was also Israel that showed that life. Amen? Genesis opens way back. So many years ago we saw it. Genesis opens with creation and closes with a coffin. I find that to be so interesting. It opens with creation and closes with a coffin. Well, you know what, Pastor Deb? Well, well, Whatever happened to Joseph? I mean, do we, did it just end with a coffin being taken into the promised land? No. Hebrews 11 tells us something about what exactly happened with Joseph, and we can know where Joseph is and what happened. It says in the 11th chapter, which is the faith chapter, by faith, by faith, Joseph, when he was dying, he made mention of the, depart, the departure of the children of Israel and gave instructions concerning his bones. Can, can I just say something? I don't know if this is impacting you the way it's impacting me, but the great and mighty, wonderful, integrous character of Joseph and all he did, and he did some very wonderful and godly things, that's not why he's remembered. You know what he's remembered? He's remembered because of his faith. He's remembered just because he commanded them to take his bones with them when they left Egypt. Because you know what? Sometimes we have to have faith even if we don't get to see the result of our faith. We still have to have faith because we'll see it on the other side. We'll see it on the very other side. And then one last thing is this. Genesis opens with creation, and it closes with a coffin of him commanding his bones be taken out. Take my bones, in other words, what he's saying, as a reminder that I'm going home. See, home to them was Canaan. So take, take, take my bones as a reminder that I'm going home. Just as Jesus said this, I wish we had more time because we didn't have it this morning either. Just as Jesus said this, take my body. See, Joseph said, take my bones as a reminder. Jesus said, take my body. And in essence, you could say, take my bones as a reminder. Okay, not only is he saying of what I did, but remember me, of course, but he was also saying, you're going home. 
See, see, take this because that's a picture of the cross, isn't it? Everything that redemption is, we're healed, we're delivered, we're saved, we're set free, all those things. But I'll tell you another thing. Jesus said something else about this when he was with them that day when he said, remember. He said, I won't eat this again until you're home. Mm. I pray when you go to the table, even tonight before you leave, add that to your worship at the table. Add that to your worship. You know, Lord, I thank you that this is your body, pierced and striped and bruised and, and all those things that you did for me. And this is your blood, and, and it is a detergent that takes away every sin that could ever... It's no sin stronger than this, this, this blood that you have. But also when you do that, this is a memorial. This is a promise that we're going to the promised land someday. Okay? So that's why I believe that we see the end of the story with the bones being removed. Because guess what? We're out of here at some point. So that table reminds us to remember all that was done at Calvary, but it also reminds us that we have a home that's not in this world. And we're going to celebrate the bread of life and the redemption of Jesus Christ when we get there. He said, I will not eat this bread again or partake of this cup until I do it with you in the kingdom. So add that when you have communion. Praise God, this is not our home. This is not our home. Don't put your stuff here. Don't unpack here. This, this is just some place for us to move through. It's temporary. David said it's a hand's breath. We have a home. And Egypt must have thought, why in the world are they taking these bones? It was a promise as we close Genesis, that he will see us through until we go home. Would you pray with me? Father, we just worship you and we adore you. We magnify you. You are just an awesome God and our lives are just so blessed that you have saved us and now you teach us and you show us and we get to know your mind and we get to, we get to actually serve you. We get to be the hands and feet of your son. And now, Lord, as we close this book of Genesis, we see that the book starts out with this beautiful creation and let there be light. And at the end, as the bones of Joseph are taken out, we remember that Jesus, your, your body was put away for three days and you came back. You were resurrected to newness of life. And because of that, this place is not our home. We have a promised land that's yet to be seen. May we have the faith. May we be noted as by faith. We did everything with eternity in mind. I pray that for my brothers and sisters in Jesus' name. Amen.